Well, our Christmas series has been on waiting, right? The wait. And of course, the people before Jesus came, they had to wait for the coming of the king. And the people now, right, we're waiting for the return of the king. And as we've talked about waiting, we recognize that there's a lot of things that impact waiting. How long the wait is. If you know how long the wait is going to be, that often helps. Or if there's something to do while you're waiting. But there's another element that we haven't really touched on, and that is, does your life really matter while you're waiting? Now, what do I mean by that? If there's someone who is a prisoner, they're waiting, right? And what's happening is if they know that there's someone outside that cares about them, it changes the way they're dealing with their time. If someone's writing letters, if there's some visits, or you think of a hostage, right? If a hostage knows that a SWAT team is on the way, that their lives matter, it makes a difference in the wait. Or you think of a patient. If someone is sick and they know that this chemotherapy is going to make a difference and that they have some people encouraging them and helping them through what's going on, it makes all the difference in the world. Well, of course, Christmas touches on this because Christmas tells us that we matter, that God is telling us through the Christmas story that he's paying attention and that your life and my life matter to him. So this morning, what we want to do is just take a few moments and look at what God says to you and me, and how we matter. So we're going to look at a simple verse in Isaiah chapter 43. Some of you might want to look at it with me, with a device or Bible, whatever, but it's coming up on the screen here. Isaiah 43, verse 1, it says this, but now this is what the Lord says, he who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you I have called you by name, you are mine. And of course, Isaiah, he's one of the great prophets of the Old Testament. He was writing roughly about 700 years before the Lord Jesus Christ came. And he was, if we just read Isaiah, you're going to walk away and say, this is a brilliant man. He came out of a royal family, so he was well-educated, well-trained. He lived in Jerusalem. He was married. He had a couple boys, at least a couple. As you read the book of Isaiah, you see that he's a keen thinker. He has a big vocabulary. It's not only that he has command of his own language, the Hebrew language, but he was in command of the other languages of the people around him. So he was a master at that. But he was not only a master at the language, he was a master communicator. So people are in awe of what he's written. In fact, when you read the New Testament, he is the most quoted, perhaps, Psalms might be right there as well, but Isaiah is the most quoted prophet in the New Testament because he had so much to say. And as you read Isaiah, one of the things that we should all be stunned by is that he had the vision of the Messiah coming unlike any other prophet. So even though it's rooted back in the Torah with what Moses had written, it was Isaiah who starts pressing into this and unpacks it, and he gives us a picture, three pictures actually, of what the Messiah would be like. The first picture is that the Messiah is going to be a king. 
Then he said the Messiah is going to come as a servant. And then he said the Messiah is going to come as a conqueror. Well, we've seen him come as a king, right? Not everybody recognizes that. He came as a servant. Certainly he came and he said himself, right, that he came not to be served but to serve. But there's something we're waiting for. And that is that he's going to come back as this conqueror. And so Isaiah is projecting all these different things. But now let me just say a little bit about the time in which he lived. There was a lot of chaos. There was a lot of confusion. There was political chaos because empires were flexing their muscles, coming against Israel. And then there was just chaos internally in the country. And some people were following the the Bible, some were rejecting the Bible, some accepted God, some were chasing after false gods. And so there was all of this going on, and that's what Isaiah was writing when he was looking at the situation out in front of him with people and the nation. Let me also just say that as Isaiah was writing, he was trying to get the people to turn back to God, that they would look at him and trust him. So this morning what I want to do is bring out just three simple things from what we just read in Isaiah 43. Here's the first one, that he is the one who created us. God wants you and me to know that he created us. Now, certainly this passage is talking, first of all, about Israel, right? The people were in turmoil. There was chaos. There was confusion. And sometimes it helps to go back and say, who am I? How did I get here? And so God is reminding us in Isaiah 43 is that he is the creator. And what he actually does, now some of us would not maybe immediately get this, but he's grabbing language from Genesis 1 and 2. Remember Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. What we need to know is that God is the creator of the universe He's the creator of Israel. He's the creator of God's people. But he's your creator. And this is a stunning comment in today's world. When we don't think too often anymore after imbibing on a message that we have somehow just evolved. So just like this message broke into their world, it breaks into our world that we are created by him but there's another word that's used he says that he formed us now that's becoming a little bit more intimate so you got this idea of creation the big but then it says he formed you now that's a little bit more intimate of what God did because what he's talking about might be something like a potter a potter is someone who takes a lump of clay and shapes it and molds it. I remember back when I was in middle school, we had a whole session on pottery. We had to take a lump of clay, put it on that wheel, spin it around, and one of the things you learn is if you press and shape, it takes on a whole new direction. So if I put a little more pressure here or a little more pressure there, all of a sudden this thing that I'm hoping to be a cylinder, usually you make a simple vase, right? Mine was lopsided and twisted and kind of leaned over to the side. But the point being is that it's being formed. 
And that's what God is wanting us to know, is that not only that he's our creator, but he's actively at work in your life. You may not see it. You may even deny it. You may even act like it doesn't happen. But God is reminding his people, I am at work in your life. But there's another area that starts to surface here as we think about it, and that is that we matter, right? He, he, he's pressing into this idea of creation being formed. And so in Psalm 139, we begin to pick it up a little bit, verses 13 and 14. It says this, For you, were formed, you, for you God, formed my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. Now, clearly, when King David wrote this, he doesn't know anything about genetic structures. He doesn't know about DNA. He does not know how marvelous, how miraculous one human cell is and all the information it carries. He didn't know anything about brains and how we carry all this information. But what he did know is what you and I need to know, is that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. If we link it back to Genesis chapters 1 and 2, what we begin to learn is that you and I are made in the image of God. No other creature, no other animal, no other existence other than us we're made in the image of god we are uniquely designed to know god and for god to know us like there's this relationship that god wants us to have now all you have to do is hold a baby and you begin to see immediately some theology right the specialness of a human being that there's no two people the same. You are so unique. No one in the world is just like you. And so when we talk about God creating and God forming you, God is creating you with your own identity. You have your own set of abilities. You have your own level of intelligence, your own appearance. All of this begins to take shape out of Isaiah 43. So God wants us to know that this Christmas because it's going to tie in a little bit more to the second point, and that's this, that he calls us by name. That's what Isaiah wrote. I have called you by name, and you are mine. Think of a parent as they anguish over, what am I going to call this little girl? What am I going to name this little boy, right? And they pick a name, and sometimes it's tied to the family, sometimes it's tied to a trait, sometimes it's a biblical name, but they're, they're in anguish as they try to get a name. And God says, I have called you by your name. It's interesting, isn't it? Because with a name comes so much identity. And we love to hear our name. Isn't it nice when you meet someone and they remember your name and they say, hey, I remember you, and they use your name instead of, hey, you? (laughs) There's something special about our names. As I was dwelling on this, I came across an article. It was about something that I I had never even heard about. It's, It's called Heart Island. It's on the north end of Long Island in New York. And Hart Island is a very unique place because there is the largest mass grave in the United States. 
Now, this mass grave has nobody living on that island, but there's over a million bodies that have been buried there. These are people that are poor. These are people that are indigent. These are people that are homeless. These are people that people have essentially forgotten. But what struck me about Heart Island, in the center of the island, people put up a monument. Actually, the monument was put up over 100 years ago, 116 years ago, 1907, and there's a cross. And it's a large monument, and etched into the foundation of the monument at the very bottom, he calls us his own by name. Isn't that amazing? All these people that have gone by, nobody knows their name. Nobody knows who they are. They were abandoned on the streets. Some of them are babies. Some of them are children. Some of them are adults. But someone put out there, he knows the name of everyone in that island. It's an amazing picture. Well, Isaiah picks up on the idea of name. So even though he uses God calls us by name in Isaiah 43. Remember what I said that Isaiah gives a picture of the conqueror? So at the end of the book of Isaiah, it's fascinating, he says that we're going to get a new name. A new name. And God is going to give you this new name. So then you jump all the way to the end of the Bible, Revelation chapter 2, verse 17, and guess what happens? We get a new name. So John, writing about 190 A.D., so 90 years, so almost 800 years later, talks about a new name. Well, guess what this new name is? This is your admission ticket to the Messianic banquet. Now, some of you say, wait, what are you talking about? Here's what I'm talking about. Jesus is coming back, right? That's what we're waiting for. He's coming back as this conquering king, and he's going to hold a feast. He's going to hold what some people call the wedding banquet. Some people just call it the, 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 the wedding feast. But to get into that wedding feast, you've got to have a new name. It's your admission ticket. It's an amazing picture that gets planted in Scripture of God calling us by name. Well, in Revelation chapter 19, verse 9, it says, Blessed, happy, contented, are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And so what God wants to know now, wants us to know, is not only about this new name, not only that we're created by Him, that we're made in His image, but there's this invitation to the wedding feast of the Lamb. There's this invitation that God just extends. But that ties into one of the last things, the third thing I'd like to say in Isaiah 43, is that God says, don't be afraid, I have redeemed you. He was not hesitant to pay the price. Now, when we use the word redeemed, what we're talking about is God, he's the creator, he formed you, you've got your name, he knows your name, he knows everything about you, and he says, you matter, I matter, and he's going to redeem us. Well, you think, how is he going to do that? How is he going to redeem us? 
Well, in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4 and 5, it says this, when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son. Isn't that beautiful? At the very right time, in God's plan, in his picture, he sends forth his son. Now, nobody could have pictured all the ways God was going to do this, but it comes, this baby comes through the virgin, right? He ends up in a manger, a feeding trough, wrapped in swaddling clothes. He just kind of slips in. But look what he says. Born of a woman, born under the law, meaning the Mosaic law, so that he, this baby, this one Jesus, might redeem those who are under the law, that we might receive the adoption as son. Isn't that amazing? So Isaiah's talking about God redeeming. Then all of a sudden, Paul's writing about God redeeming. In Revelation, another verse, verse five, or chapter 5, verse 9, it says this, And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals, talking about Jesus Christ, talking about the end times, talking about this king that's going to conquer. He says, You were slain obviously his death on the cross, and redeemed for God, picking up this redemption picture again. But look, he tells us exactly how. By your blood, people from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. God is on the move. He's doing amazing things. Is He's redeeming people out of this confused, chaotic world. And he's saying that you matter to him. And even though we wait for his return, there's this promise of what he's going to do. But it's all through the cross. Well, why the cross? Why do we talk about this cross so much? Well, if we look at it, our relationship with God, if we look at it vertically, we would just say sin. But we don't use that word too much in our world today. So let me just give you another world word when we think about sin or we think about why we needed the cross it's because of rebellion we have rebelled against god and when we rebelled against god that's on the vertical guess what happens horizontally we become very very selfish and self-centered in fact we would say In order for us to feel like we matter today, life becomes all about me, all about the self. And so there's this exaltation in the 21st century unlike anything ever seen before is there's the exaltation of self because we want to make ourselves matter. We're trying to import value, but God is saying you can't do that. I'm going to give you value. I'm going to give you significant value, infinite value. So Jesus dies on the cross to pay that penalty of the rebellion against God, but the selfishness that's infiltrated the world. And we all see it. I don't even need to defend any of that. We see where life has gone. People have become more focused on themselves, more after more things, becoming more and more selfish. And Jesus Christ steps in and says, I want to pay the penalty and I want to make that relationship right. So the invitation to the wedding feast is really an invitation to a relationship with God. And you can have that relationship with God by asking Jesus Christ, who already died on the cross, 
to pay the penalty of your sin, to remove that barrier between you and him. And God wants to do that. And he's done it through Jesus Christ. That's how we know he wants to do it. Why does he want to do it? Because you, you matter to him. So Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, Jesus says this. He says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. You know what that door is? It's the door of your heart. You know why he's knocking on the door of your heart right now? Because you matter to him. And he's saying, you're so valuable to me. I created you. I formed you. I've given you a name. I've set it up so I can redeem you. He says, if anyone, a woman, a man, child, a student, if anyone opens that door, the door of their heart, and invites him in, you know what he says he'll do? I'll come in. And then he uses this word, I'll dine with him or her. And she or he will dine with me. That's what Jesus Christ is doing at Christmas time. He's giving us this big, bold invitation to come to him. If you're here this morning in the situation that you have never accepted that invitation, this morning's the time to do it. All you have to do is bow your heart just simply say, Jesus, I have rebelled against you and I have lived a selfish life. It takes some honesty. It takes some guts. It takes some courage. But you know what it takes? Believing in what God said. And he said, we are rebellious by nature and by choice and we live in selfish ways. And he wants to correct that. And so this one who came as a king, this one who came as a servant, by dying on the cross, is the one who is conquering all evil, all selfishness, all sin, and extends this invitation. So if you've not made that decision, it's the, not a, the most important decision you could make in your life is trusting him as your savior. Now, I've said a lot. I've said a lot about a relationship. It is so critical. It's a heart issue between you and him acknowledging that you need a Savior. Remember what the angels announced to the shepherd. The angel said, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to turn to Jesus Christ. The world may hate you. The world may not understand you. But the angel said, don't be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy. For today in the city of David, a Savior has been born for you. Isn't that amazing? It's good news. It's really good news. If you don't hear it as good news, the only thing I can say is maybe you don't really understand the plight that we're in, the rebellion against God, and our selfishness that just permeates us. We all, myself included, need a Savior. We all need it. Now, I've said a lot, but sometimes it helps to hear a story. Just listening to how God has worked in someone else's life. So what I'm going to do this morning is I want to invite Pastor Brad up and Matt Gooby, and I'd love for you to hear their story as they tell you a little bit of what God is doing and how God has worked in Matt's life. Listen to this story. 
Well, hey church, this is, this is Matt, and he has boldly uh, been willing to come and uh, share some of what God is doing in his life, and man, God is doing a lot. So thank you for being up here. Um, thank you. Yeah, it's, it's really good to share, and God's changed your life a ton over the last four months, but maybe bring us into your story a, a little bit earlier on, kind of with your journey with God. Uh, yeah, so uh, I accepted Christ uh, at an early age, and... Um, I don't think I really understood what that meant or allowed uh, him to change the way that I live my life. Uh, as I got into my college years, I really started living for myself. I started working in the hospitality industry, specifically focused on bars and nightclubs, and my life became a roller coaster of ups and downs from there. I struggled with sin constantly while I was working in that industry because I was surrounded by it at all times, whether it was sex, drugs, or alcohol. I did this for about 16 years. <laughs> I was uh, chasing after the world. I, I, I squandered so much money in the last year on needless things that I thought were going to make me happy or impress others. And things came to a tipping point this past June when a business venture that I was pursuing ended up going sour and I was left without a job and I started feeling depressed. Thank you for your honesty and vulnerability and sharing that, Matt. That's just really powerful. Thank you. Um, you and me both now see how God has been providentially working behind the scenes, right? He's got, he got you to this point. It didn't feel good in the moment, um, but, but we both can look back now and see God's guiding hand. Where, where did you turn when you were, when you were there? So my brother uh, was kind enough to let me move in with him out here in Lake in the Hills, and... Uh, let me stay with him until I found a new job. And when I moved back out here, um, my mom gave me some devotionals to start reading. And she encouraged me to start reading my Bible. And uh, I agreed to do it. And uh, slowly I started feeling a conviction and God starting to direct my life. And... Um, let me just say, moms, you hear this. You can still impact a grown man's life, right? Don't, don't stop, moms. Um, Matt, you had shared with me, and I, th I think it's powerful. You had shared about a little trip you w went to Las Vegas, and there was a job opportunity. I would like you to share that because it shows an evidence of God's spirit working in your life. So I took a trip out to Las Vegas in late July for a job opportunity that I was pursuing. And while I was out there, I fell right back into sin. But... I felt a stronger and more genuine conviction on my heart for the sins that I committed. And when I was offered that job, I ended up turning it down. Yeah, that's evidence of God's spirit working in, in Matt, right? Before he felt worldly guilt, and now you felt genuine repentance and conviction over your sin. And to turn that job down, you didn't have another job opportunity. That just showed that, that God was moving you, right? He was directing you in your life. I, I know your brother played a, a substantial role, right? Your mom did, and then your brother, who's actually in ministry in Texas, he encouraged you to find a church, find some men that you can uh, get around, and I guess ultimately somehow you found Fox Valley. Yeah, I ended up finding Fox Valley uh, in September, and I attended a couple of the services, and uh, after the third service, Pastor Brad, uh, before the third service, Pastor Brad came up to me and uh, said he recognized me and wanted to introduce himself. Yeah, 
I, it's, it's really funny because that morning with my kids, uh, that Sunday morning, they were up really early, and we were just playing like a little game, like making up a story. And uh, with dinosaurs, right? Very normal Sunday morning before church. And uh, one of the dinosaurs I named Gooby. And so when Matt told me his name was Matt Gooby, I said, dude, you were featured in my kids' game this morning. Uh, congratulations. Uh, but it, it was just this really fun, sweet little connection we had right before the service, right? And you said that was important, just connecting to somebody. No, it definitely was. Uh, and I hadn't connected with anybody at Fox Valley up until that point. So that moment was uh, very important to me on my journey. Um, so I reached out to Brad via email after the service, and I asked him if he wanted to grab a cup of coffee and get to know each other a little bit. I told him my story, and he offered to disciple me. And we started doing a book study every other week, learning about the gospel and how to apply it to my life. Yeah, learn how to pray, read the Bible, do some uh, different things. And Matt, you shared with me, I remember us meeting in that coffee shop maybe the third or fourth time. Like you're doing a lot of the right things. You're reading your Bible. You're, you're coming to church. You're looking for a place that you could maybe serve. You went to a men's ministry study and eventually, you know, got in a life group. But you were still lacking something. You were still lacking joy. Maybe you can bring us into that a little. Yeah, so I was reading my Bible on a regular basis. I was praying, but I just felt like something was still missing. And there was this one time that I was grabbing coffee with uh, Brad, and I told him that I was having a hard time experiencing joy in my life. And we prayed about it. He gave me some words of encouragement, and he also uh, gave me some advice on how to talk to and how to pray to God. And a few weeks... <laughs> a few weeks after that, I had this moment in my car where I... Sorry. I had this moment in my car where I, I broke down and I had a heart-to-heart -heart with God. And I told him that I couldn't do this on my own anymore. And I cried out for help. And I fully surrendered my life to him. You know, at Fox Valley, we talk about full surrender. We talk about it, palms up, right? And Matt, in that moment, you're just like, God, I'm going to surrender my time, my treasure, my talents, my hopes and dreams for your plans and purposes. And when you do that, God works and acts in a powerful way. I remember you calling me, and we were talking after that moment, and you were just in tears, right? And still, obviously, the emotion <clears throat> is very raw. And, and God has been uh, doing so much in your life. Uh, you expressed to me feeling fruit of the Spirit, like really actually sensing patience, sensing peace. You're still in the thick of a trial, right? You're still in the middle of it, and yet God's guiding you. He, he, you're navigating it differently. You said you no longer feel alone, you know? Yeah, I, I, I truly felt like a weight was lifted off my shoulders. That's when I uh, fully surrendered my life to God. Uh, he was there, and he accepted me with open arms, and my life will never be the same. That's amazing. Yeah. Amen. You know, Matt, there's a lot of people in here, and everyone's on a different journey with God, right, along a certain path. And you are, it's clear that there's transformation happening in your life, and I know you're really passionate about it. What would you want to say 
um, to people here this morning? What would you want them to take from your story or how they could walk away this morning? My mom, uh, she read me this quote a few days ago, and it, it really hit home. Sin will take you farther than you want to go. It'll keep you longer than you want to stay. It'll cost you more than you want to pay. And I was living in sin for a long time, and I was rebelling against God, and I was chasing after all the things of this world. And in ways, I compare my story to the parable of the prodigal son. I was seeking out all the short-term pleasures in this world at a young age and finally coming back to God to experience his love. And my hope and my prayer today is that someone here would fully surrender their life to Jesus Christ just like I did. I promise you that it'll be the best decision that you've ever made in your life. Thank you for letting me share my testimony today. Amen. Can we thank Matt? We're going to pray now. We're going to pray that these words, these gospel truths would fall on good soil, just what you uh, asked for and what your hope is. So what would you pray with us? Um, Father, uh, we thank you first for the work you've done in, in Matt's life. Oh, Lord, thank you for his testimony. Uh, thank you for his boldness to respond in obedience, to share it. God, that is not an easy thing to do. Um, Father, we praise your name and we give you all the glory for what you're doing and how you're transforming Matt's life. Thank you, God. Amen and amen. And Lord, we pray right now in the name of Jesus that just as Pastor Tom uh, shared the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, and just as Matt testified to the reality in his own life and his own experience, would we come to a place where we surrender to you. God, for some of us, it's for the first time. We've never had faith and trusted in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins. Uh, for some of us, we've, been wan we've wandered away like the prodigal son, and you're calling us back, a father with open arms to hug, just like he hugged Matt. And Father, for others of us, maybe it's uh, we're holding on to one or two things that we haven't given to you full surrender over. Would you help us do that this morning? Not in our strength, but by the mercies of the living God. And Father, as we now respond in the worship of singing of God's people, I just pray that there would just be a, a moment that happens in this service that's supernatural, where as we sing to you and we worship you and we make much of our King Jesus, that you would do a powerful work in our hearts. And we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. I want